The following episode of The Trumpet contains a scene featuring explicit material. The Trumpet is not an explicit podcast, but the scene featured on this episode contains language or situations some may find objectionable. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to The Trumpet, the official podcast of Elephant Room Productions. As always, I am your host, Robert Jean Pileccio. Happy New Year, everybody. So I'd like to welcome back to the program, Brian Gray Stuff. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully. <laughs> it's been, I'm a right. little colder than I should be right now, but neither here nor there. Um, so it's been a couple months since we chatted. Can you uh, just review... Uh, your just a quick review of your theater background for our listeners and uh, most importantly your history with ERP yeah so um, I uh, I started off uh, my theater work uh, after graduating Westchester University uh, with a degree in theater um, general theater I kind of bounced around in there um, uh, doing a little bit of performance a lot of technical work um, some directing and, and playwriting um, I, I left, I went to a couple different states. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet my wife uh, at, our, at, my, at our first stop. She was uh, from another university and, and came down to Barter Theater in Abingdon, Virginia. Um, and I met her there. Um, and then I bounced around. I got to do work out at Actors Theater of Louisville, all technical work. I ended up um, in Baltimore and then in Philadelphia. Um, where I kind of continued to develop uh, technical work and writing at the same time. Uh, and th- there became this point in my life where I realized I had to either focus on writing or focus on technical work. Um, and uh, I decided to go with writing um, because I think while I could be a competent designer um, I, and then I always be the, like someone's second or third choice after their first choice was, was booked, um, I don't think I'd ever be a really good designer, and I think that I, you know, I I'm working on being a really good playwright. Um, so and it's uh, showing, by the way. <laughs> Every, everything I've read of yours or seen of yours uh, has held up. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, so that's um, and that kind of brings us up to speed. Um, uh, oh, my work with um, Elephant Room. I met uh, Lauren. Uh, a couple years before Elephant Room was founded, working uh, with Brat Productions. Uh, she was the assistant director on a play I wrote called The Last Plot and Revenge. You know, I just thought she was super talented and, and super smart because I was developing the script kind of in a mad dash to the end. Um, and everybody in that room was so, so helpful in me getting clarity with it. Um, and then uh, she approached me for the Suicide Stories uh, project uh, in this past Fringe. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I was really eager to write a piece for that. Um, yeah. Actually, there's like, I feel like there's a lot of relationship between Dog Person, the play we're going to talk about, yeah. and, and the piece in Suicide Stories, because they both deal with, um, uh, in, in very different modalities, they both deal with uh, uh, depression and how mm-hmm. it exhibits in people. Um, and they also and so, are uh, this this odd juxtaposition of a very heavy subject matter 
and some very dark comedy. And yeah, I remember. Yeah. I think we talked about that the last time you were on with um, uh, with your piece for Suicide Stories. That it was yep. uh, where it was yep. positioned in the actual show. It was very early on. It was it was either the first or second piece you saw mm-hmm. pretty much when you walked in. Yeah. Um, yep. And I remember in our initial readings of it. I don't know where we're, I think we got to it third or fourth down the list because we were just reading the plays and yeah, just the order we had the them. Yeah. And we had we had just gone through about 40 minutes of like deep breaths and sighing <laughs> and yeah, crying. Yeah. And then we yeah. get to this and I'm like, I don't know if this is supposed to be funny, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that that's um you know, one of the myths that I really try to work with um, in things about depression is that, you know, everything is always really sad. Um, because I, I think that recognizing the absurdity of your condition is certainly something that, that people with depression recognize. Um, uh, there's this great uh, online comic, Hyperbole and a Half. Oh, I love that. I, have, I love Hyperbole and a Half. Yeah, and the, she does um, two really great deep dives into depression and just the the best like funniest way possible and, and I'm I was actually that was one of like the inspiration points for dog person was like uh that kind of like just unflinching but also really self-aware look at um at what depression can be and how kind of absurd and uh and sad the absurdity is in its humor. Um, so that, yeah, but I really, I really appreciate it when people can do that and not just make it, you know, kind of the very typical, like emo kid. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so that was, that was a major touchstone for me. And then, and then I kind of approached Lauren about, about doing this, this reading and, uh, and she was really game for it. Um, and we were actually able to squeeze in two, which was, yeah. tremendous and really really useful as a writer to hear it twice in kind of rapid succession with different people mm. um uh that was that's just been insanely useful um and so uh and so yeah so that's where we've been and i hope to continue to do more readings and more work with you guys because i think you're really insightful and a lot of fun so can you um just set up dog person in, uh, in a minor way and then set up the scene we're going to hear and then we will just dive the hell in. Yeah, so, um, so dog person uh, is um, a, a one-person show. Um, there's um, kind of two characters on stage that, that are both embodied by um, a single performer. So it's, it's really the day-to-day life of this, um, of this woman uh, and, and her dog um, but her dog kind of manifests, um, there's a lot of debate about what her dog manifests, whether it's kind of her id or, um, or, or some kind of, uh, you know, mental illness. Um, uh, and th- there's been a lot of debate as the script's written right now as to, as to how real the dog is and how real right. the entire situation is, um, which has been super useful to hear from two different points of view. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just her kind of living her life and, and, and going through uh, this cycle um, that she gets in and, and you kind of see 
how it ebbs away at, at her ability to function in her work and in, in kind of her social life, even though everything's contained and kind of trapped into this uh, small studio apartment, you get kind of touches and, and a lot of the dog and her reflecting on all the pressures that, that are, are building up on the, in the outside world uh, on her. So I think uh, what we're going to hear is uh, from basically the top of the show, uh, she, uh, uh, the woman is coming in from the outside having a phone conversation with her dad and uh, the dog's there kind of impatiently waiting. Uh, and, and so this is our introduction into kind of the rules of how they engage um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and kind of this co very caustic um, and examined relationship and kind of that uncomfortably familiar space uh, that you live in with, uh, with something or someone that knows everything about you um, and can point out any flaw they want at any time. Um, there's a real kind of codependency and toxic relationship aspect Clearly. as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a listen. There is a lifeless lump of something, a mass of fur and bones underneath lying on the floor of my shitty studio apartment. It is not a dead thing, not a real thing. Rather, it is an object of some disgust and guilt. Something kept but not wanted. No one would look at this thing and think, dog. This is my dog. I am outside, walking up to my apartment door. Not the greatest time, really, Dad, no. Well, I'm just about to walk into the apartment, and you know how the dog is when I first get home. Yes, I got the check and I'll deposit it soon. I just... Look, I'm sorry. I'm here! I just... Sorry, I'm here! You know that, right? I'm here, I'm here, and you may not be thinking of me, and I know that means in your brain that I don't exist, but I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, so come home to me! I've been busy, and, and I guess that's it. I guess I've just been... I'm sorry. I'm with you, I am, all the time, even if you just trap me in this place. You can't get rid of me like that. I'm here, I'm here, waiting for you! No, I know I don't have to say that, but I mean it, and... Um, look, I really appreciate you just coming by like that last week, helping me clean the apartment. I don't know how it got so bad, it just... Yeah, I guess it does just all add up. Feels like it doesn't, but it does, you're right. Uh, you shouldn't have to do that for me at my age. I appreciate it, but I'm sorry that you... You know I'm still here, right? I can hear everything you're saying out there. I'm in here, but I still know what's up. Anyway, it looks great now, and it's gonna stay that way. Just a few dirty dishes in the sink from this morning, gotta get those. No, not like a few, like, like a few from someone spending the, not, not that kind of few. Besides, who would spend the night? I know you wouldn't care, be happy, whatever. It's just not, so, sorry, so, are you gonna talk out in the hallway all night? You know how weird that is, right? Look, I should go. Yeah, you can hear through the door. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna... I'll call you for real soon, okay? Okay, you too. Tell mom too. I come in, and M sparks to life. An eager thing wanting to be filled up. 
Hey girl, I'm home now. Sorry, I was on the phone with dad. Yeah, that was pretty obvious. Pretty fucking obvious, okay? Okay, sorry. Get down now, get down. M doesn't. Yes, yes, I love you so much too. I missed you and I love you and now it's time to get down. Get down, go! You know I'm a dog, right? That I can't understand you, right? Come on. That I don't have any feelings or real thoughts, that I'm a fucking animal, right? All of this is just in your own head and you're just projecting it onto me. You know that, right? Right? I know, I know. Come on. But if I did, if I did feel something for you, God, I'd hate you. I'd hate you so hard and so sharp, like a brittle old chicken bone. I'd fucking hate you. And do you know why? Do you? Do you? Because you're all I have to love. That's it. That's why. That's why. You taught me what love is to find it and carved it out a spot inside me that wants it all the goddamn time. You made me hollow, a hungry thing. You monster. I hate you because without you I'd die. You feed me. That's all. You feed me. You keep going. That's the only way I can love you. In hunger. It's a transaction. It's just a transaction. My love for food. That's what you get. Like a whore. You do know that. I hate you. I hate you. I said get... I shove Emma away hard like I want to hurt her because I want to hurt her and she comes right back. A bit more calm, but still the same too. You want to hear something fucked up? It just hit me like, it just hit me. I'd eat you. If you were dead, I'd eat you. That'd be the best thing you ever gave me, your soft fucking belly and my teeth. That'd feel so good to rip into you like that, to break off your nose and my mouth. I'd love that. I'd love, if, I'd love you like that. The way you really want to feel love, the way you think love is, the closest thing I can offer you is that I'd eat you up. And you know it. You know it, don't you? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's the kind of person you are, the kind of person that hopes to die first, aren't you? Just so someone can be fully committed to you for more than 10 seconds. Jesus, that's fucked. That's fucked. You want me to eat you. That's fucked. Jesus. Jesus. Somewhere during this, I've gotten the mail. A small stack of notices on the floor. I open one. Shit. Shitting fucking shit. Shit. Fuck. I start crying. What are you- what the fuck are you crying for? What the fuck are you crying for? Don't treat me like I'm not here, okay? It's the cable. The cable company. They shut off my cable after I- Everyone said I had to put my foot down, even if I'm the one who can't afford it. That I had to- So I called them. I- called them because that's what you have to do right it's part of the game you can't just expect to get treated like a person you have to make a scene and talk to the manager and you can't let these people take advantage of you and jesus fucking christ who came up with this shit as a life this isn't a life okay what the fuck are you talking about i'm sick of everyone acting like i can't fend for myself so what am i supposed to do when they keep jacking up the price of cable for no fucking reason I'm supposed to call the cable company and make a scene because that's supposed to do something. So I do. I call and I ask and I got put on hold and of course, of course, I got disconnected. And so I call again and I get put on hold again and finally, and I'm really mad now, okay? And I don't know what to do with anger. I don't know how to... And Todd, Todd, Todd answers the call finally and I explain. I try to be firm but reasonable. I even say that I'll take my business elsewhere elsewhere. And you know what he says? He says, what do you want me to do about it? And that, I guess that was that. Right? Yeah, I guess it was. 
And so they shut off my fucking cable. That's why I'm crying. Because my fucking cable matters, okay? To me, it, it does. And I only had... It doesn't even really matter now, but I only had like a few shows that I could even watch without feeling... I don't know. Why does it matter now? It doesn't matter now. And I know how pitiful this all sounds. I couldn't even see someone else's made-up happiness because it's... I only had a few shows, but that's what I had left, okay? That was mine, and they shut it off. Hey, it's not that bad. You still got me, right? I still love you. It's not that bad if you've got- I fucking kick M. What the fuck? I mean, what the fuck? This isn't easy. And we're back. Um, so as you may have just heard, uh, or gotten the gist of in that, this is a trip. Um, yep. <laughs> um, so for those of you who don't know the, the ears process, we, we do two a month. We do one in Philadelphia, one in New York. Um, and I generally am present for all of, or most of the Philly ones, um, I, I record the readings, I record the feedbacks, I usually partake in them as well. Um, I don't always, uh, I very rarely am able to get up to New York for the New York readings. So this was one of those plays that when we first got to it, um, I did not get a chance to be a part of the initial mm -hmm. uh, New York version of it. Um, and then, like you said, when they did the Philly one, uh, it was kind of a smaller, intimate, uh, non-recorded one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my first experience with this play was just prepping for this interview, and uh, mm. I literally I just I just sat in my living room and read it, and it's it flies by. It, I mean, it's a what is it, under sixty pages. It's uh, it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a one act essentially. It, it's it's a long one act because monologue work, um, and especially uh, somebody that has to switch back and forth. I think yeah. Adds, adds some bulk uh, to the text. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it should clip by. There's n there's no place for an intermission, which was something that I learned in the reading. Is, yeah. Well, it's also, uh, it, it clips by because of how snappy the dialogue is, essentially, yeah. with one person. And what I want to touch on first is, the, I think the most unique aspect to this is the element that most people aren't even going to be aware of, except for the people working on the play, is that all of the stage directions are in first person, uh, which I love. And, and first, I, I guess I should just start by saying, like, what what was the inspiration of the style of this piece? And you spoke on the yeah. subject matter of it, but how did you craft uh, this type of piece? So, um... Uh, I'm a member, uh, or I'm a member emeritus of this organization called uh, the Foundical Philly Playwrights Organization. Um, and every year we go on a retreat, and every retreat I think I have a plan, and then uh, about 15 minutes into writing that, I realize that I, I hate that, and, and planning things is silly. And, uh, and so I just make up something, and, and um, I've been working on this long-standing, and I'm still working on this long-standing project, um, it's a retelling of Orpheus, and I had tried first-person uh, stage directions in that, and um, 
didn't quite fit. And then when I realized that, that I was going to try to do a one-person play, um, I'm like, well, that, that makes more sense um, because uh, the stage directions can be a little more personal. And, uh, and in general, I just, I like being able to provide some kind of joy in whatever, as in whatever uh, avenue you encounter the play in. So I think it should be a joy to read and, and a joy it to see as well. It definitely is, yeah. Um, so, it it, it kind of reminds me, um, I shamelessly bring this up every podcast, it feels like, but one of my favorite writers of all time is uh, John Schwartzwelder. And uh, he is, well, it, the show's been going for so long now, I don't know if this is true, but it, at least when I was growing up, um, mm -hmm. John Schwartzwelder was one of the only Simpsons writers who had written more episodes than he was years old. Right. And uh, the thing about John Schwartzwelder's writings is that often his most insane and brilliant and witty writing were the stage directions. Mm -hmm. So much so that... Um, Occasionally, they would have to rework his script so that the stage directions somehow got included as uh, as dialogue because it was too brilliant to let slide into the either. So, did you, did that come up for you at all? That like just writing her kind of you it know comes up. It comes yeah. up with almost all of my stage directions. Um, everybody constantly wants them as a voice. Um, yeah. I and, and so I'm trying to. I'm trying to now navigate the fine balance of making it fun without making it es essential. Um, right, right. And uh, I, I haven't quite figured out that formula yet. Um, but I, I, I just, yeah, I just want them to be something fun. And sometimes there are pieces where it's like, oh, that actually does need to be in there. Um, and and I think as kind of actors get more familiar with it, it that those pieces kind of fall into place in a longer rehearsal process. Um, but it's just, it's just, it's just also nice to have that, that kind of compliment of like this part of your writing works really well and really sings. Um, and, uh, and I think all the other kind of, uh, factor I put into that is as a designer, um, it just gives you more to do if there's, if there's more expressiveness in the stage directions, you know, like, crosses left to door you know yeah <laughs> it just doesn't just doesn't really provide yeah. a lot or well you, you also hit on it earlier uh, that it, uh, what it does is it adds um it adds something to the person reading it because the big challenge with plays and the big flaw i would you know with reading plays is that plays are written to be performed and mm -hmm. not read yeah what you have done is you have Essentially, you've essentially written a story that is accessible either way, because if you're reading the script, you know, not that it shouldn't be performed, but if you are reading yeah. it, you're getting a sense that you wouldn't you're, you're getting a slightly different sense that you wouldn't get watching it play out. Yeah. And and I mean, I think the other thing that it does is it really helps me with tone um, and, and hopefully it it helps to to get the idea, you know, that it doesn't, even if something's very serious, that maybe it doesn't have to be somber or, um, you know, that there can be some wryness or, or s some self-awareness uh, to those scenes um, that, that might otherwise get really into melodrama. Um, uh, so it helps me 
kind of gear up or gear down the 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 emotional aspect of the scene and hopefully be able to maintain dialogue that, that has has that written more into subtext um than kind of on the nose um so that's another advantage that i'm that i'm exploring with it but it's all a work in progress um uh, but I think this one came up pretty well. It's no, it's wonderful. And it's very, very engaging. I, I guess the only like, no, the only other thing I want to ask, um, it, we touched on this a little and you, you know, you, I respectfully, you do not have to answer this question because it is a very personal question about the play. But, um, as you would observe the characters, you know, you, you did, you mentioned a little bit about M the dog being kind mm-hmm. of her id, kind of, uh, you know, whatever. Do you necessarily see me as actually communicating with this character, or is it a projection of her inner thoughts? Or is it up to the production of and the director? I mean, I, I think that um, I think that one of the things that needs to be essentially clear, one of the things that I'm continuing to clarify, is that uh, the character of me has a dog in an apartment. The, the, the actual physical presence of an animal companion is, is absolute. Yes. Um, I, I also don't think that, that, that M, the, the dog, it has any necessarily supernatural or... Um, right, right. Uh, you know, uh, I think that it is some sort of projection, and there's, um, there's a line that I think we heard in the reading... Uh, and if I was really clever, I'd have it up and quote it now, but I don't. Um, uh, about about M saying very directly, like, you know I'm a dog. You know this is all just in your head. And and so I wanted, you know, I want the audience to be given it that clearly, but um, yeah. I but I do wonder in in the reality, does me say all this stuff out loud? And I think I think the answer is probably some or probably more than she should because if you have animals, you know you talk to them. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and you know I they, know. And you know they judge you <laughs> severely. Like that, That's one of the things that... Um, that, that, that was one of kind of like the big truths and the big like easy um, metaphors that, that, that I, I was able to draw. Is like you talk to your animals and they judge you. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's all your projection. Um, yeah. uh, which is great. Um, because I just think it, it makes it so relatable and, uh, or I hope that, you know, that's where I hope the relatability of the character really, uh, yes. really has a heart. Well, like I said, this is absolutely an engaging play. It's absolutely everything that I expect from your style of humor uh, that I've come <laughs> to expect. Um, yeah. What do you think is next for a dog person? I mean, I would love to see it move into a production process. Um, I, I think that it's, it's at that point. Um, I, I started to revise the first, like, few scenes, and, and I think that I could probably go through with a revision to, to neaten it up, to add some more clarity. Um, I think that the neighbor role, which is very, very tiny, might be a little more fleshed out into something that you would need to cast a second person for. Um, 
so there's some adjustment um, in there. Um, or you, would you would you want the neighbor to possibly but, be more in appear more? Yeah, in the I I, th- I, th- I think that that the opportunity to see active isolationism is 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 really important, um, and also to add definitive the dog is real yeah properties um i think kind of can only be done with another another character on stage seeing the animal um uh so i mean those were great things that i learned but really i think it's very very close to being kind of production ready or um in a in a process where uh uh, a, a company would be looking to workshop and produce it a bit. Um, so, which I'm really eager for. I'm really, really yeah. eager for it. Um, and I can't wait to see it on the stage. Yeah. And, and the other thing I, I, I got to learn through this process was um, I was a little hazy on the age of the character. Um, and so one of the great things with two readings was I was able to uh, do one reading kind of with a slightly younger actor and one reading with a slightly older actor. Um, and it just made, made absolute sense that this character would, would be slightly older because it just ends, lends so much more gravity to kind of these complaints that could be very like, figured out your life moments um, for a younger person. And then when it gets to an older person, like, no, you should have really gotten this by now. Um, uh, that was such... Uh, just such a great and clear realization hearing it twice like that. So, um, yeah, again, uh, thank you for providing that. It was, it was really cool. Anytime, man, that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think that, I think that all, and the other thing that I loved, um, in getting the, the digital feedback was, um, sometimes feedback can be overwhelming for playwrights. And uh, you never have the opportunity to pause feedback. Normally, <laughs> um, it's it's gonna happen until like somebody blows the whistle. Um, and sometimes that has to be you. And I think as you kind of get more of a voice of a playwright, you realize like when you have to tap out of your own notes. Um, and sometimes that just means that just means like sitting there and not listening. And then when the person stops talking, saying, "Thank you, I'm gonna consider that." Um, <laughs> Uh, but this was great because I didn't have to put on any face. I could just hit pause and, uh, and walk away from it for a day or two and then come back and, and listen again and, and hear everything and, and, uh, and make all the faces and, and everything. So, <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, there's obviously value. No, no, but, yeah, yeah, no, I don't but, but there's something really interesting, uh, and freeing about just, being able to really react to what people are saying without judgment. So right. that's cool. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to give this another read. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. And I Me most too. importantly can't wait to see when this finally makes it to the stage, what yeah. you use as a dog. I, I yeah. mean, that, that will be, that's the only thing that I've really specified in the script. Um, is that the dog has it's a to be life, a lifeless lump? <laughs> yeah, but the, the 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 puppet when it comes to life has to be super 
real. It just it can't. Yeah. I don't think it can be any sort of theatricalization of a dog. So, um, luckily, there's tons of awesome puppeteers in Philly, and and puppet makers in Philly, um, and and around everywhere. But um, I know particularly Philly has has some that are just really cool. Um, I wonder if we can train Arrow to get in that our artistic director's dog. Um, it was Probably. great because we, re- we read it at her house and then there was, there <laughs> oh my was God, nothing, I forgot he was there. <laughs> there was nothing better than to just like go and hug a dog afterwards and be like, it's okay, buddy. I love you. <laughs> um, so I really think there's like an animal therapy component, uh, yeah. to, to the wraparound of this play that is, is, uh, is very active. Yeah. Um, I think, I think if the SPCA just had animals waiting they would get rid of a lot of their extra stock which is not the way we should talk about animals um, <laughs> oh god but uh yeah there would be a lot of adoption set yeah um oh so brain- brainstorm put their number on the back of the program on the back of the program yeah absolutely <laughs> uh well, with like the like, risky adopt me now kind of thing yes well brian thank you again so so much for thank sharing you, more of your brilliant work with us uh, and thank you for coming on again and talking to us. Uh, here's hoping that we see Dog Person again very, very soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Talk to you next time.